After singing like that, I'm ready to preach. Are you ready to listen? I hope so. You probably want to sing more. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Aren't you thankful that our Savior is alive? Hallelujah. It's wonderful. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, I'd look forward to meeting you. I've got some good news for you. So, as you know, if you've been around, we did our Super Bowl food drive. And I am excited to tell you that you raised over 1,100 pounds of food. Good job, Parkview. Give yourself a hand. 1,100 pounds. The fifth grade class at Faith Academy partnered with us in bringing a good portion of that food to the Community Food Bank, and another portion went to the North Liberty Community Pantry. So praise God for that. Thank you for your generosity in that and blessing others. Upcoming, you need to be aware, March 6th, we have our quarterly congregational meeting. Now, potluck comes before that, so how could you possibly want to miss the meeting? I mean, some of you want to come to the potluck and leave, but you can't do that. Well, you could, but we won't. Anyway, come to the potluck at 6 p.m., and then the business meeting starts at 7 p.m. If you're a member, we want you to attend, of course, but even if you're not a member, if you're a regular attender, we'd love to have you there. It gives you a chance to hear what's going on, hear some of the ministry reports, even to ask some questions and uh, find out a little bit more. Also, there's uh, child care, and you just need to register in advance. That's for uh, ages birth through age 10. So you can look on the website, get signed up for child care for that night. But plan on being there, mark that on your calendars. I want to do a little bit of review here just to help us kind of lead into where we are today. So while God's power is supreme, the enemy is not without power. And we as Christians, as believers, must eliminate any ties to our enemy and to his ways. Paul is in Ephesus for more than two years. It's his longest stretch of ministry in one place. And all the residents of Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord. Then there's like these extraordinary miracles that were taking place that even uh, Luke seems to be surprised by them. And then the seven sons of Sceva want to get involved, right? And they try to take care of a demon invoking the name of Jesus and referencing Paul. And he beats them severely and they run away wounded and naked. And the community responds. They, they bring their books to burn them, the books of sorcery and the arts. And they're saying, these things are not right and they extolled the name of Jesus. I remind you, if you're a Christian, remember saving grace is free, but following Jesus has a cost. Last week we talked about being disturbed by Jesus, and really the prayer was, Lord, make us courageous for the truth of the gospel and give us genuine eagerness to see a status quo disturbing movement of Christ in our time and place. I don't know how many of you are following the revival that's going on at Asbury. It's fascinating, isn't it? What, what a wonderful thought to just think that we're going to keep praying and keep praising and, until God does something great in our land, and we don't have to be there with them to pray those same prayers. How we would love to see revival come to Iowa City, to come to uh, the, the state, to our nation. We are so desperately in need. Give us the courage for the truth of the gospel. 
We looked at the riot in Ephesus and, and how those who knew the truth of the gospel were, were not upset. They knew that this was a good change, this shifting from idolatry toward faith in Christ. That was good as opposed to those who were not believers. They didn't understand, and they saw this as dangerous. They saw this as a threat to their economy and, more interestingly, a threat to life as they knew it. Because remember that those outside Christ, apart from God's intervention, will always find a reason to reject Christ because of the incredible power of disbelief. The idols of the age will always try to find a way to disqualify the truth of the gospel. You see, the problem is, people today, like people of all generations, they do whatever they must to put their mind and their hearts at ease. Because when people can settle into a routine and a system, that it, it has a way of numbing that God-given discontentedness within their souls. And the enemy loves this. However, when the truth comes in, it disturbs, it rattles the system, and chaos ensues. You see, following Jesus should interrupt society because his followers are to no longer let culture dictate their lifestyle, their source of joy, and their source of purpose. The way we follow Jesus should challenge others in their securities and in their objects of worship. Following Jesus will cause you to count the cost. True repentance involves being willing to put all things on line, even your livelihood for Christ. We should never be surprised when culture is disturbed by the truth of Jesus. Today's message is entitled, A Night to Remember a Time of Message and Miracle. This passage is fun in some regards, and it's painful in others. And, and I want you to realize that Luke covers a tremendous amount of ground with a few brief words. These events are, are summarized very briefly, but are very significant. We will see how these new believers were encouraging one another through the message of God's truth and through transforming miracles of God's Spirit. Look with me now at Acts chapter 20. Let's just read the first six verses to get started. <clears throat> After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples... And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through these regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Purus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we set sail away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you now and we... Praise the one who set us free. And Lord, we are filled with gratitude as we consider 
what you have done for us in, in your grace, sending your Son. Lord, we thank you for the cross, and it pains us to think that it had to happen because of our own sins, but we are grateful nonetheless for that mercy and for that grace and for our Savior's victory over the grave. Father, it is our desire that you would be glorified and that your name would be praised and and that people would come to know and understand the good news of Christ. Lord, we thank you for what's happening at Asbury. And Lord, we pray more importantly that revival would break out through this land, that we, your people, would be faithful in praying for that, in serving and in declaring the good news of Christ. Lord, that you would have your way in our city, in our state, in our nation, and Lord, in the world. We would just commit that to you. Father, we pray for East Campus today, and we ask your blessing there. And Lord, be with uh, Len Brooks as he shares today. Lord, work in a mighty way there. Father, we continue to lift up those who are suffering as a result of the earthquakes. And we just ask that you would work in a mighty way. You would bring healing. And Lord, empower those believers to be uh, light and life to those people. Father, we ask you now that you would work in our hearts, work in this place, and be glorified in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, just in a few verses there that we read, I want you to stop and think of all the travel that's taking place, and think about it, travel in those days as compared to our days, all the conversations that must have taken place, the various accommodations, the places that they stayed the meals that they shared, the controversies they experienced, the testimonies that were shared, the joys they experienced, the sorrows they experienced, the times of prayer, the times of just sharing the Word and reviewing the truth, times of admonition and times of encouragement. And I share that with you just to realize that no doubt Luke is giving us a greatly abbreviated account here. We went here, we did it, you know, and he's just going through it so quick. So I'll read to you just for reference out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 a little bit more about what Paul writes about the suffering and hardship they endured in Asia. He says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Again, a lot going on, even more we know about. They're they're at a point of uh, utterly burdened beyond their strength. They're despairing. They feel like they've received the sentence of death, and yet God delivers. And recognize that it was important for them to realize they had to rely on God. And, And also that request for help by way of prayer. Now, to pick up where we're starting here in verse 20, it's, it's after the Ephesus riot, and Paul gathers the disciples for a farewell. 
Again, this journey, if you can follow it, if you have a map in the back of your Bible of, of his third, Paul's third missionary journey, come, helps to follow that. But he, he travels across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia to encourage the churches there. Then to Greece for three months. More encouraging there. From there, he wanted to travel to Jerusalem for the Passover to bring financial support for the mother church. Again, what an encouragement that must have been when it arrived for that Jewish church that's struggling so much there to be sent support from these Gentile believers. But as it tells us, when he was ready to go, he learned of a plot of the Jews. Surprise, the the Jews are plotting against Paul. I wonder what their, pl- uh, their plot might have been. I spent time thinking about this. Perhaps it was of no use. But maybe on that long jur- journey to Syria, all they would need to do is get near him when he was by the edge of the boat and give him a little shove into the night waters while the, boot- the boat is moving at a good rate. No more Paul, no more trouble. They'd be heroes. I don't know. But he learns of it and instead ret- goes back through Macedonia. Look at verse 4 again. Sopater the Brian, son of Perus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. It's interesting to me here to think of where these people are from. You've got a Berean. You've got a couple from Thessalonica. You've got Gaius from Derby. You've got Timothy. And you've got Tychicus and Trophimus. Great names, by the way, all of them. From Asia. And you think, why does Luke give us such detail in this area? And I think it's significant because there's a reason for this very heterogeneous group. These are different people who are gathered around the gospel. Deep relationships and fellowship and encouragement is shared amongst them. Remember verse 2, they had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. It was George Adams who said, encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. Isn't that great? Can you relate to those words? A time when you were just worn out and you wanted to give up and everything in you just wanted to throw in the towel and somebody says, no, it's okay, you can do it. Hang in there. Work hard. Study hard. You won't be a student forever. Or maybe you were struggling in your faith and somebody came and brought you the words of life from the book. And it was oxygen to your soul. And why are they together like this from all these different areas? One theory is very simple. It's they were one in Christ. If you're a believer, maybe you've had a chance to to go on a mission trip or to serve together and, and you're together with people you've never met and now all of a sudden you're bonded together instantly because of a mutual love for Jesus Christ. Well, my family and I are relatively new here to this church and to Iowa City and yet when we meet with you and other believers, there's a bond because of Christ that, that can, can get rid of the past that isn't there together, Right? It overrides that because we love Jesus and want to see His name lifted high. Singing praises to Him together like we just did unifies people together. It's very possible that these guys were delegates from the churches carrying the gifts to Jerusalem. 
They're excited about the vision of advancing the gospel and encouraging those believers in Jerusalem. They were ready to encourage. They had been encouraged, so then they wanted to encourage others. Just by way of a side note, these men stay very involved with Paul from then on. You've got Timothy, and then you've got Sopater. He cares for Paul in Rome. You've got Aristarchus is imprisoned with Paul in Rome. And Trophimus travels with Paul. And obviously, Luke 2, look at verse 5. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. The first person plural pronoun, us. After the days of the unleavened bread, Paul and the us travel to Troas. Five-day trip. And it says, but we sailed away from Philippi where we stayed for seven days. First person, plural pronouns. We, us. Luke is a traveling companion. He's sharing with us from a first-hand perspective. He is with Paul. Now again, this passage seems like a lot of travel here, but very significant things happen during this time. You've got Paul writing a second letter to the Corinth, uh, church in Corinth, as well as to Rome. All right, I got to get with us. We get, we're never going to get through this passage. Look at verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. The first day of the week, this is Sunday, or the day of the resurrection. This is not the Sabbath day. By the way, it is this verse that lends evidence to the apostolic church meeting on Sundays. And it says they were breaking bread. This is possibly meaning that they were sharing the Lord's Supper together. It could be a regular meeting as, meal as well, but it would seem like that would be appropriate for them to do that, especially with Paul leaving. This would have been the end of a normal work day for these people, and likely a big group because Paul was there and he would be leaving the next morning. You know how it is when you're with people who are special to you. You want to make the most of every moment, and time sort of flies. So they're in this uh, upper room, this third floor room, probably packed tight with torches just lighting the room up. And where were they? There's a clue that we can possibly find here in 2 Timothy of chapter 4. It says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchment. Paul's writing back saying, you know, in modern day terms, please bring my, my Hawkeye hoodie and my Kindle. I left it with Carpus, right? So they're assembled to hear Paul, likely in the home of Carpus. We can't be sure. Look at verse 9. It gets interesting. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from a third story and was taken up dead. Can you not picture this scene? This young man's doing his best, trying to stay awake. I'll have you know, I find it entertaining to watch people try to stay awake. I'm doing that now. No, I'm just kidding. But this young man's just losing this battle. He's trying so hard, right? And I got to wonder, did anybody notice him fading in and out or, you know, kind of jerking awake or whatever? But suddenly he's too late. All of a sudden they see his feet, you know, and he's out of the window. And they hear the thud. 
three floors to his death. Now everyone in the room is wide awake at this moment, I assure you. Look at verse 10. But when Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Now, every preacher uses this opportunity, and I won't, I won't pass it up either to say, no doubt this should serve as a warning to those of you who nod off during this particular time on Sunday mornings. It might kill you. Be cautious. The word translated sleep here is really the word where we get uh, the word hypnosis. Some of you can look a little hypnotized on a Sunday morning. In a former church, we had a a great lady who was uh, just very sleepy on Sunday mornings, and she has on the end of an aisle toward the back, and and we preachers used to, to watch her because she would slump over and slump over. And we were all convinced that one of these times she was just going to go bonk just out of the chair. We wanted to seatbelt her. And I, I, will, I will confess it was distracting to me, not because I was offended by it, but because I was worried about her. I was just worried her, that she was just going to... Anyway, you got to be cautious. But I think there's a great vantage point here from which we remind ourselves of the humanity of these people. How often are our spirits willing, but our flesh is weak? Right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This young man was tired, maybe from the flickering flames of the torches or kind of hypnotized by it. And maybe the oxygen was being taken out of the room because there were so many people in there in these torches. Years ago, as a youth pastor, we had a night where some kids were going to come over and then more kids came over. And then before we knew it, like there was just kids everywhere. I was convinced that our upper floor was going to fall into the basement and we were just going to turn it into a basement gathering. Uh, it, was, it was bad. And so much so that there, our, our CO2 sensor went off. It was like there was no oxygen in the room. It was weird. We can all relate to struggling at some point to stay awake. But before we get too hard on poor Eutychus here, too often there are people in church who are physically awake, but spiritually they're dozing off or sound asleep. Remember when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes, the good religious people? He said of them in Matthew 15, he said, you hypocrites, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Moral, doing all the right things, being religious and yet spiritually asleep. Are some of us showing up and being attentive and maybe even living the life? It doesn't mean you're spiritually awake. Morality in and of itself is not faith. Maybe the fire has pretty much gone out in you. You used to be passionate about your faith. You used to think about it all the time. And, but it's now it's just one of those other things that kind of defines you. 
Here, Eutychus was struggling physically, and, and I doubt it was Paul's fault. I mean, he was not new to speaking, but here we have him, him packing as many words as he can in before he has to go, and apparently he just keeps going, or they just keep asking him questions. We're not exactly sure. But then can you imagine these people witnessing Paul bend over this lifeless body, and you've got Luke as the physician documenting all this. And, and no doubt they knew about the story of Elijah. And here was another encouragement for them. Remember Elijah during the great famine? He'd been drinking from a brook and fed by ravens. He was sent to Zarephath. And he asked a widow to feed him from the very last that she had for her and her son. And remember, God provided and provided. But in 1 Kings 17, verse 17, it says, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause death to my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. But let's not forget Elisha. When the son of the Shunammite woman had died, remember? 2 Kings 4. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. So he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house. And he went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes, and he summoned Gehazi, and he said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came in, he said, Pick up your son. Now understand, the people of Jewish faith, these, these are like Jewish action heroes, right? Elisha and Elijah. And no doubt even the Gentiles have heard of these great ones. And here now God uses this experience with Eutychus to further authenticate Paul as a messenger from God, but also to connect him with the Old Testament prophets and to encourage them to believe. Imagine some in that room who, who might have thought, wow, this sounds convincing, I just don't know. And next thing you know, they see a miracle before their eyes. So they're back upstairs now, and no one is struggling to stay awake, and they share a meal, and they celebrate together. Can you imagine how these people might have shared with anyone who had gone home earlier that night? You, you missed it. You left too soon. Yeah, I know. Paul was talking a long time. I was getting tired too. But the next thing you know, whoop, Eutychus, he falls out and dies. 
Why are you telling me this? Because Paul restored him to life through the power of God. It was incredible. Back to our text, verse 13 of Acts 20. But going ahead of the ship, they set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. And the next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. For whatever reason, Paul chooses to go by land. Maybe by this point he hated boats or was just wanted to be on dry ground. But interestingly, he sails past Ephesus, not wanting to go to Asia. But we'll notice next week that he calls for the people of Ephesus to come to him. I want you to understand that as we work through this text, it's, it's hard to figure out where to break up these passages. So we'll continue next week and we'll make some more observations. But I want you to notice some things from this text. Paul longs to get to Jerusalem. Now he's hoping to be there for the day of Pentecost. But I want to suggest to you that we get in this text also the importance of worship. They met together on the first day of the week, Sunday, after the Sabbath was over. Again, this is the first record of the meeting on Sunday, but it likely started earlier. But I want to, you to note that they gathered together. Prior to COVID, surveys were done that said people who considered themselves regular attenders of church were attending church 1.6 Sundays a month. They considered themselves regular attending 1.6 Sundays a month. COVID has even made that worse. I realize for some it's impossible to be here or it's risky. And that's understandable. But for many, just got out of the habit. It's just more comfortable to be at home. You got TV programs or podcasts or live stream. But I want to suggest to you that those are not a good substitute for gathering together like this. They gathered together around the word, praise and prayer, encouraging one another. Another reason to gather is Lord's, the Lord's Supper. We'll share in that in a few minutes. It doesn't have to be every time, but it's an understanding that it's one of the things that we do as a body of believers. We gather together to remember Christ and what he did on the cross and the victory of the empty tomb. Also for worship, we have these New Testament passages encouraging us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
We're to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Doing everything in the name of Jesus, right? People, these things need to be a priority for us today. I get a little bit worried about generational things and how if we as a generation are people that are comfortable with calling regular attendance 1.6 times a month, then I would suggest to you that the next generation will bring it down to zero. What are we communicating to those who look up to us when we do not prioritize gathering together for worship? Like Eutychus, we are fortunate. God is in the business of resurrection miracles, transforming us from death to life by His Word and Spirit so that we can encourage others to be transformed that there would be other resurrection miracles. You and I as believers are to encourage one another with the message of truth. May I caution you against falling spiritually asleep. And remember to gather together for worship. It must be a priority.